All right. First episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome. <laughs> I'm Bill. And I'm Madeline. Now what? Well, since it is our first episode, I think we should give a little bit of a background. Yeah, good good idea. So first thing, just so everybody knows, we're a father and daughter team. Well, are we a team? Do two people a team? Are we a duo? <laughs> duo doesn't sound right because... We're, that would either mean we're singers or we're uh, superheroes. Crime fighters. Crime fighters, yeah. <laughs> so we're father and daughter. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So I bring the generation of wisdom and you bring the generation of attitude. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I focus mostly on the supernatural, weird, creepy stuff and you are mostly interested in the psychology of true crime. And I guess considering that you grew up with your mother watching mostly the ID channel, yeah, I'm glad you're interested in the psychology of true crime and not actually a subject on the ID channel. Yeah. <laughs> it used to scare me. <laughs> yeah. It really makes mom sound horrible. But she is a very loving, <laughs> loving mother so far. Why <laughs> <laughs> So we didn't share our stories with each other, but you did mention you were going to be talking about a surrogate. <laughs> you did mention you were going to be talking about a serial killer. And I know you have been patiently waiting for us to sit down so you could tell your story. So here we are. Go for it. I'm actually really excited about this story because this person has been labeled by the Guinness World Record as the most prolific female murderer. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Guinness Book of World Records has categories for <laughs> serial killers. I was just as shocked. I had to look for multiple sources. <laughs> okay. Um, this person is Elizabeth Bathory, also known as the Blood Countess. Uh, just a little disclaimer, this is in Hungary, so I'm probably going to struggle with a lot of the pronunciation. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm waiting for you to mess up a word. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, Countess Elizabeth Bathory was born in Nierbator, Hungary on August 7th, 1560. And she was born into one of the most prominent families in Central Europe. When she was 11, Elizabeth became engaged to a 15-year-old named Count Ferenc Nadasti. She moved into his parents' palace and was educated in running the estate. At the age of 15, they got married on May 8th, 1575, and she was gifted a castle by her husband. Nice. <laughs> uh, the castle... I'm going to mess this up. The castle was Castle Chastista, one of the darkest Gothic castles in all of Hungary. Is it? Was it really Gothic back then? I mean, I, <laughs> just, I <don't> know. <laughs> or was it just normal? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. 
it just said it was gothic, so I went <laughs> with it. <laughs> um, ten years later, they had their first child, and she had actually given birth to five children. Two had died as infants, and two daughters and a son survived. It had also been stated that she did give birth to, and I put this in quotations because this was the exact wording, an Ill- illegitimate child with a peasant boy before her marriage as well, but had secretly given away the child. Ferenc had supposedly discovered the affair and had the peasant castrated and thrown to a pack of wild dogs. Elizabeth's husband, Ferenc, was a soldier who was often off fighting the Ottoman Empire and not around much during their marriage. But when he was around, it was said that they bonded over the violence of torturing their young servants that were under their charge. Ferenc would also give tips and methods on how to torture. Who was he giving these tips to? Elizabeth. Oh, okay. So he was teaching her. I didn't know if he had like a YouTube channel where... (laughs) (laughs) hey everyone welcome to my channel i'm ferrick and today we're gonna give tips on how to torture okay (laughs) elizabeth had grown up witnessing severe beatings of servants it had been said she had begun laughing at the sight of a man who had committed a crime being sewn into a body of a horse his crime was stealing so what you're saying she was a little demented A little. (laughs) (laughs) Unlike other girls, she was never upset by the violence she had witnessed. She was drawn to it instead. I think that was more than a little. Okay, so warning signs. Okay. Yeah, it's going to get a bit dark. In 1601, a woman by the name of Anna Darvoya, rumored to be a witch, had joined the household. At this time, Elizabeth became much more sadistic. Uh, She was responsible for the death of many of her servants around this time, but the disappearances didn't raise any concern since peasants weren't a priority. Elizabeth had a lot of power that made her untouchable. Not like supernatural powers, but powers as in she was very rich. I I know she had uh, (laughs) learned some stuff from the witcher. (laughs) No, uh, just because of her status. Yeah. Yes. Local pastors became suspicious as they were asked to perform funerals for those who had apparently died of cholera. That was her excuse of all of them disappearing and dying. Wait, they disappeared, but then they had funerals? Yeah. She wrote them off as them having cholera. One priest had pulled her aside and said, Your grace should not have acted... So, because it offends the Lord, and we will be punished if we do not complain to you and criticize your grace. And in order to confirm that my words are true, we need to only exhume the body, and you will find that the marks identify the way in which death occurred. And what did she do to the priest after that? She was outraged, and she had threatened that she had relatives who would not tolerate that talk. And I did also read that Faring did talk to the priest after. I don't know exactly what they did. I don't know if that priest is... Well, obviously, they're not still living. But I don't know if that priest survived after that. So were the two of them in cahoots as far as their killing the servants? Or was it like her? Well, at this time, it was more torturing. And if they had died during the torture, she would write it off as it being cholera. 
But they were both torturing. Yes, but he wasn't around a lot. So I imagine oh, it was right, mostly right, her, right. but when they were around, they bonded over that. Yeah, okay. They, <laughs> they bonded over... Okay. <laughs> I guess if you find something you have in common. Yes, yes. Um, in January of 1604, Farring died of an unknown condition that caused paralysis, and Elizabeth took over the estates. <laughs> He died of unknown causes. Yeah. Okay, yes. We'll, we'll believe that she didn't have anything to do with that. Actually, she was very upset about her husband dying. Mm. Um, okay. So it says. <laughs> um, she was accused of crimes against both female servants and minor noblewomen who'd come to her for training and education. There were rumors in 1602 that Elizabeth was responsible for the disappearances, but most of these crimes took place after she became widowed in 1604. Servants had reported that she became even more sadistic after the death of her husband. If if that's even possible. Yeah. Having almost 400 servants, servant girls over the time, she had plenty of victims to go through. To avoid suspicion, she began to lure girls from the villages surrounding her castle. Now we're going to get into how she tortured and killed. Okay. First of all, I want to go back to what the hell do 400 servants do? It was over time. I don't think it was oh, 400 okay. was at once. <laughs> sounded like she had 400 servants to pick from. No, it was over the time. Okay. Um, so there was always a help on the sign outside. Pretty much. Because <laughs> <laughs> she couldn't keep her servants. Some victims were covered in honey. And left outside for the insects to eat them. During colder months, young women would be stripped naked, forced into deadly ice baths, and left outside to freeze to death. Elizabeth sometimes tortured by driving needles under their fingernails, cutting their noses or lips, or whipping them with stinging nettles. I don't know if you know what stinging nettles are. I had to look it up. I just thought you mispronounced needles. (laughs) (laughs) No. <laughs> it's an actual thing. Okay. So stinging nettles are a common plant that grow in the US, Canada, and Europe. Uh, they have sharp hairs on the leaves that if you touch them, they inject irritants into the skin, making them itchy, red, and swollen. Oh my gosh. Okay. It gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Um, if the servants pulled out the needles from underneath their fingernails, she would then chop off their finger. Okay, so the question is, what's more painful, having your finger chopped off or having nettles shoved underneath the... Needles. Huh? Needles. I thought they were nettles. No, they they would get stabbed, or not stabbed, they would get whipped with stinging nettles. Oh, okay. But the needles would go underneath their fingernail. Okay. Yeah. I got it. Okay, yeah. so... Screwed all that up. Uh, so the question is whether it's less painful to just get your finger cut off than have needles shoved up under your nails. I don't even know. I feel like I would just stick with the needles because <laughs> I feel like that'd be temporary. <laughs> <laughs> well, but at the time, I don't know if I'm really concerned about temporary long-term, just pain. Well, you would be lucky if you just got out with Missing yeah. fingers. Well, I'm, I'm sure they're always hoping, right? Yeah. Anyway, okay. So go on. She would also bite 
chunks out of their skin on their shoulders, cheeks, and breasts. <laughs> <laughs> she just she bite them off. Yeah. What'd she do with them then? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There was also burning of the flesh, including the genitals, on some victims. Witnesses even said that one of her favorite pastimes was using scissors to slice open the skin between their fingers. How is that your favorite pastime and what makes that different than anything else? (laughs) Bodies were piling up so much that her enablers were running out of places to bury. Many were buried in shallow graves in the courtyard of the castle, leaving opportunity to be dug up by hungry dogs, which often happened. Since Elizabeth was a wealthy noblewoman, she was able to avoid the law for six years. Hungarian King Matthias II eventually sent his highest-ranking representative, Georgi Thurzo, to investigate the complaints against Elizabeth after the young noblewoman began to die mysteriously or have gone missing. So so he arrived, and she's like, listen, Georgi, <laughs> there's nothing going on here. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Just get back on your horse and go home. Pretty much. I just... Uh, complaints? <laughs> Those are just complaints? <laughs> Evidence was collected from 300 witnesses that revealed horrifying charges against the countess, although none of the witnesses were actually eyewitnesses. So what type of witnesses were they? And what was she doing with witnesses? I don't know if they were just people that were uh, around the castle. Like... I know some had heard screams, but they weren't actually in the room when it happened. Or the, or the neighbors in the neighbor castle <laughs> looks out. Oh, Elizabeth is staking somebody in her front yard and slapping <laughs> with honey again. <laughs> oh, no. I, I think they were just people that heard the screams. Okay. Um, but they weren't actually in the room. At the time of the investigation, some accused her of cannibalism and claimed to have witnessed her having sex with the devil. Okay, so now we know what she did when she bit off the body parts. <laughs> but to eat it raw, though. Yeah. Eat, eating humans in general is... I don't understand, but raw. <laughs> but once you have that taste... <laughs> <laughs> Some depictions mention that she would even bathe in the blood of virgin victims in order to stay young, but there were no witnesses to these accounts, and the first mention of this actually came 100 years after her death. So there's back and forth on if that's actually true or not, but it just makes it more creepy. (laughs) Well, but does it seem really off or that far out of the realm of possibility (laughs) with everything else that happened? Does bathing in virgin blood really seem that weird? Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, it is weird, but well, for her, yeah. it's not weird. <laughs> Maybe not weird, but yeah, for her, does it seem that weird? Okay. Thurzo charged Elizabeth with the deaths of 80 girls. Although one witness claimed that there was a book of recorded names of all the victims that Elizabeth had kept herself. 650 in total. <laughs> But the journal appears to be a legend since it had never been found. So 80. wonder how they determined the 80. Probably all the bodies that were buried. Yeah, I guess it just seems like the countryside was probably 
pretty huge back then because the population wasn't as as high. They could he she could hide bodies just about anywhere. Yeah, well, he could have just been like a random number. Yeah. Elizabeth immediately blamed everything on her servants, even saying that one went crazy killing all the other girls before killing herself. But Thurzo was not buying these claims. He was not <laughs> believing. <laughs> so what did he do? Well, he actually invited himself and the king over for dinner. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and everything was fine. She was really nice. She was tell her so they're eating and he's like, Wow, this this is really tender meat. <laughs> Where did you get it? Oh my gosh. There was no statements on the meat. Okay. Although when it became dessert time, they did start to feel sick and they became very worried that they were being poisoned, so they ran out of the castle. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like i told you to stay away from the finger foods <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh. after that incident thurzo did go back with i don't know if they were soldiers or just other people that were working for the king he went back with them Elizabeth did threaten and they were casting spells against him to like threaten him, but they had stayed hidden. When they went closer to the castle, they saw a body of a young servant. They went inside and there were even more bodies inside the doorway of the castle. So this was a good indication that something was going on. So she's totally lost it by this point. Not that she hadn't already lost it, but she just has bodies laying all over the place. I'm assuming they're bodies that have yet to be buried. <laughs> they're, they're piling up. Yes. <laughs> they're like, why is the great digger taking so long to get these bodies buried? <laughs> well, because you tortured him last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, they were running out of space. <laughs> okay, that's the not funny, not funny. But no, it's not just funny. Bizarre. Okay, anyway, yeah. okay. Um, Elizabeth had a whole team to help torture Anna Darvoya, the one that was. Wait, wait. Sorry. <laughs> she she had to outsource her torturing. She had to get help. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She's totally lost it. Okay. Um, Anna. Darvoya, who was the suspected witch who had moved in when they were married, uh, was one of her main accomplices. In 1609, Anna had died of a stroke, so she was never really tried for her crimes. Um, too when, much. Go ahead. What? Uh, so too much red meat in her diet? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I don't even know how to respond to these. <laughs> I, mean, I feel bad laughing. But... Uh, I know, but yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> um, members of her crew ended up going against her, incriminating, incriminating themselves as well. So when they were caught, they just gave up. and. This is after she died? This is after Anna died. I'm talking about Elizabeth. Oh, Elizabeth okay. is still living. This is oh, when okay, yeah, the yeah, investigation, yeah. they get arrested. Right. Um, and members of her torture crew 
went against her and, and also incriminating themselves. Um, she was then bricked up in a dungeon in her own castle, which ended up being the scene of most of her tortures. Which you would think that would kind of be like a good thing, because if she had satisfaction of torturing, why would you put her in a... Well, but you said bricked up, so they... they uh, yeah, like... They sealed her in. Yeah. In January of 1611, the accomplices were put on trial. Three were executed while one was spared and only got life in prison because they were often caught and beaten for trying to sneak food in for the victims. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to go back to the bricking up in the dungeon. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just wondering what the realtor says when people are coming to look at that castle. I don't... <laughs> Do they have realtors back then? <laughs> Somebody's going to hey, this castle's for sale. Previous owner. I thought they just fought or like it was like stayed in the family or something. <laughs> I don't know. Elizabeth herself was never tried in order to avoid controversy, but she remained under house arrest until her death in 1614 at the oh, age so of 54. She wasn't, sorry, she wasn't like, I was thinking she was like bricked up. No, she was bricked up. Like the windows and doors and stuff were bricked up. She, I mean, I mean, it wasn't I like was, bricked up okay. where like she was there to die. Like That's they what took I thought, care yeah, I of her. She, I thought she bricked. She they bricked her into this this dungeon and yeah. just left her to die. That's what I thought you were talking about. Oh no, <laughs> that would be really awkward. Although well, would be a good punishment. Just brick her up and let her. Yeah, she. Well, she was initially bricked up, but then. I guess she was under house arrest okay. instead of being tried for her crimes. So that's why I was saying about if she was bricked up and then they tried to sell the castle. Oh, no. <laughs> before was... she even dies. No. <laughs> Just hear her screaming and they're <laughs> clawing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just ignore that. Just, that's just... It'll go away in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> she had complained about chest pains but the guard was like just go to sleep and she never woke up so they they don't they didn't care oh yeah why would they well i mean she was this great so the the accomplices were given life in prison i i can't make only one of them the other ones were executed even one i didn't even think they had like life in prison back then i thought it was just execution 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 yeah maybe Maybe it was the same thing. They were kind of bricked in a room. Yeah. Hmm. Her body was buried in the church cemetery at Chastista. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing this right. We'll go with it. Um, But locals were enraged that a murderer was buried there. So the body was allegedly exhumed and taken to her family crypt. But it does not end there. (laughs) (laughs) In 1995, the crypt was open and the corpse of the most infamous murderer in Hungary was nowhere to be seen. Some believe that there was just misinformation about where the body was actually buried, but others add this to the creep factor of the whole story. Because there were some claims that she was supernatural. Oh yeah, I'm not buying that. (laughs) I'd be more, more apt to believe that somebody came along at some point and stole her remains for what though (laughs) i don't know if you noticed but there's weird people out there (laughs) 
So that was it? That, that was the story. Oh, that was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> it was first, a bit of a first story out of the game. That's, a, that's exhausting. Yeah. Oh, that's, I don't even know how to have, wrap my head around it. And it's so crazy because this was in the 15, 1600s. And you don't often think about there being serial killers back in that time. Because there's not a lot recorded. This is like one of the earliest recordings. The fact that anything happened to her was amazing. I mean, she wasn't tried because they wanted to avoid controversy within the family name. But the fact that she even got house arrest, you know, and she was only under house arrest for four years. I wonder. I just wonder if she would have been, yeah, let go at some point. Just went back to her old ways. I wouldn't be surprised. I didn't put this in. Thurzo, the guy who was sent to investigate, was actually good friends with Elizabeth's husband that had passed on. And when her husband was on his deathbed, he made Thurzo promise to look after her. So I think that's why he was a little easier on her, but he had more loyalty to the king. So that's why he put her on house arrest. So if he didn't have loyalty to the king, he probably would have just let her go um, because he felt indebted to her husband. Yeah, because you would think that, you know, if they really wanted, okay, well, we can't hang her in public because it's too much controversy for the family, which is wrong, right? I mean, like all the people that lost their lives. Yeah. But you think they could, like, make her disappear or... Oh, she accidentally... put her in a dungeon. (laughs) (laughs) She accidentally fell down the stairs and broke her neck. Oh, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess that wouldn't be right on their part either if they're going to be law and order. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. But, yeah, the fact that she got on or got away with it for so long is crazy to me because 80 people, and if it was actually 640, I think it was, 650 that's crazy to me that is like i feel like for six years of getting away with it why did girls keep going there willingly except for the ones that she lured in but a lot of them went there for education so why did they go there willingly with all these girls going missing and dying so six years six so it's about 100 years so about every three days that's crazy it seems kind of slow for her. Well, I guess if you're torturing for three days. Yeah, I guess that's true. Just say how long she tortured these people before. No. There's no timeline. But she had a team, though, right? So it sounded like she was multitasking with multiple people. Yeah, she... Well, I think it was a lot of the time, too, them doing the dirty work for her. But they're still are part of her body count, right? Yeah. So she has like a dungeon and there's like five people down there being tortured at a, any given time. Yeah. I guess it depends on how long they last. Because one every three days doesn't seem like a, a you know real high number for her. Yeah. Okay. So, well, <laughs> wow, like I said, that was exhausting. <laughs> yeah. I have a little more toned down story than that. <laughs> okay. I was looking, I know you you mentioned, I didn't know anything about the story, but you mentioned that you were looking for like one of the original serial, at least documented serial killers. Yeah. So I was thinking, oh, well, it'd be interesting if I could go back and look at like the first ghost stories. Yeah. 
looked a little bit, but then I realized that, you know, there was, there were discussions about them finding hieroglyphics in Egypt that were talking about ghosts, which, you know, obviously you, well, is it a ghost or is it really just a story that somebody had, you know, put out? But considering that ghost stories go back that far, trying to find anything near <laughs> the first ghost stories that is, is accurate. It's like, okay, so, but I did go back a ways and this, this story kind of has uh, multiple layers. So this is about the old manor house in Oxenby. So this is in England. The building was believed to have been constructed during the reign of Edward VI. So that would have been put it, put it around the mid 1500s. Around the so same I, time. Yeah, so i <laughs> pretty good about finding something in, yeah. in, in the general area. It, it originally served as a residence for noble families. Hey, there's a theme there. Yeah. <laughs> apparently, there's a number of ghost stories about the manor. Well, not apparently. There are a number of stories. Yeah. Apparently, ghosts. <laughs> Which, I guess, isn't a big surprise about you know, a castle that, or not, it's not a castle, a manor that old. What's the difference between a manor and a... I don't know. It's a good question. I just assume a manor was smaller than a castle. But it's like, there's mansion and then manor. Is mansion and manor the same thing? I, I thought they were, yeah. Okay. I'd have to look that up. I don't know if we keep this in and just let everybody know we're stupid about it. <laughs> <laughs> or we look that up and we, we take this. No, it just... I feel like it's something that not a lot of people know about. Because, like, when do you think about... For us people who can't afford... For us people who can't afford and live in the United States... Yeah. We don't... You know, when somebody asks us where we live, we generally don't say, oh, we live in the manor at Oxenby. Yeah. This particular story that uh, I'm going to tell you about is about a ghost cat. A cat? Yeah. Just don't smile. <laughs> Oh. Sorry, sorry. Don't smile. I don't think you're gonna like this. Oh, <laughs> why do you do this? <laughs> so Elliot O'Donnell was an author in the early 1900s, mid to mid 1900s. He had a book titled Animal Ghosts, uh, published around 1913. I think it was 1913. So this was one source of the story, but. He, in one of the chapters, he writes about uh, a former teacher who relayed these stories to him. She lived in the manor when she was a child. Wow. He doesn't give a timeline. So this was Mrs. Hartnell was his teacher. and doesn't give a timeline, but considering he was born in 1872, so his school years were late 1800s. So we have to figure mid, mid 1800s she lived in this. She lived in this 300. That's why, that's why they call it a manor. It's 300 years old at the time she lived in it. Wow. So you get to call. So if we live, <laughs> this house lasts 300 years, they can call it a manor. Were you going to say if we live in this house <laughs> for 300 years? Well, we could be ghosts, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Or we're actually um, not humans. Yes. <laughs> so one, one thing I wanted to point out that he describes, if this, if this matters, but he describes Mrs. Hartnell as a person not given to fantasy uh, but even she felt that there was an eeriness to the manor, yeah. I guess. She told O'Donnell about a day when she ventured down a shadowy corridor of an unused wing of the manor when a door creaked open and a huge black cat crept out. A huge black cat? She said a huge black cat, but, you know, that's relative to somebody. I mean, it's not like this 
I don't think it was this monster Giant cat, right? black It's maybe just one of these fat tabbies or something like that. Ooh, is this where, like, I go ahead. This is where things turn for the worst. So I apologize to you and any oh. cat lovers out there. Wait, was it a real black cat or ghost? You said ghost. Let me finish this. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> the cat was limping and appeared cruelly maltreated and in pain. Oh. It gets worse. <laughs> of course. One of its eyes looked as if it had been gouged out. Ugh. Its ears were lacerated, and the paw of one of the hind legs looked as if it was torn or hacked off. Oh. The cat moved towards her with a, quote, curious gliding motion, unquote. She drew back from it, but it tried to reach her and rub itself against her leg, seeming to want comfort, but it fell down and uttered what she described as a half purr, half gurgle, and then vanished, sinking into the floor. Sinking into the floor? Yeah, she said it just kind of dissolved into the floor. Wow. Oh my gosh. I would cry. <laughs> that evening, this is the next layer, her youngest brother died in an accident in the barn. At the time, she did not associate the two events. Yeah. Obviously, her brother died. You know, she didn't really think about that. But two years later, she saw the cat again. And that same day, her mother died of a stroke. Is this where the term a uh, black cat crossing in front of you being bad luck came from? I doubt that could be, but I don't, I don't know. I don't. That's crazy. Four years later, she saw the cat again. I would have think I would have thought about moving out of the house after the second time. Well, is it in the same wing each time? Yeah, from from what I had understood is that it was, and that's why I was kind of questioning the second time. Well, I guess the, the third time. Yeah. Is you know it's like she stayed away from there and then she was down there again. It's like why are you even going? Why are you even living in that manner anymore? Yeah. Why? But let alone why are you going down that same corridor? Yeah. Why do you just keep going back down there? Especially if it's unused. But she saw the cat again four years later, and then her father passed away. That's crazy. That's sad. A little backstory. The house originally belonged to a knight who was killed along with his wife during a hunting, while they're out hunting. Yeah. Right. Their only boy, Ten, inherited the manor and, you know, whatever they had. But because of his age, the crown assigned a guardian to him. Unfortunately, the guardian was a sadistic monster. Oh, of course. I'm not sure what it is with these people back then. Was it Elizabeth? Yeah. So along with not treating him very well, he eventually murdered the boy. But before killing him, he made the boy watch as he mutilated the boy's, mutilated and boiled the boy's cat. Oh my gosh. Oh. You had more of a reaction out of that than you did all the murders that Elizabeth did. Because I was reading through that before. You you no, should have like, seen me. You're more upset about a cat. <laughs> <laughs> the The Guardian was trying, he, he inserted his, he had a bastard child and he inserted him into the role of the boy. He's trying to, to um, convince everybody that, that his son was the boy so that, they, you know, they inherited the manor and the, yeah. whatever wealth there was in but they were eventually found out and they were they were hanged even the boy the boy yeah both of them were yeah 
how old was the boy? How would that be his fault? I assume he was around the same age. I don't think I said, but I don't know, maybe because they went along. And it didn't say the timeline of how long it was between the time the boy's parents died and the time that he actually was murdered. Yeah. So could have been, you know, five, ten years. And then the boy was an adult and knew what was going on. Or maybe they just... Okay, that would make more sense. So... Obviously, a really short story, just but I thought it was interesting. But the 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 other layer to that, I think, was the the harbinger of death aspect of it. That this cat was, um, I don't want to say warning, because sometimes they say, well, these, you know, these, you know, you have this warning, but it, is it really a warning? I mean, it's just this this cat appeared, and then her brother, and then her mother, father died. So it really is just a warning that not that you can change anything, but that somebody is about to die. Yeah. There was a dam built in Austin, Pennsylvania back in 1909. And during the construction of it, they had cut a lot of corners to save money. So they had a lot of problems from the start. In January, the following January, 1910, there was, a, there was heavy snow melt and uh, rainfall that resulted in the dam slightly shifting off of its foundation. Uh, that doesn't seem yeah. like... <laughs> Which caused a minor flood. Yeah. It was around this time, around the time of that first incident with the minor flood, that rumors started to circulate about a ghost being seen in the Austin Railroad Yard. It was reported that a very tall man dressed in black was riding and crawling between the railroad cars. I'm not really sure what that means, riding, but maybe riding on the cars, I guess. Did you say crawling? Yeah, I said crawling between. So yeah, that's kind of weird that he was crawling around, riding on the cars. Because of like... The connection, and then, like, if you fall, you're gonna like die. I don't, yeah, I don't know. So, he was doing those things, and then uh, apparently, he would appear and disappear sporadically on September 30th of 1911. So, these these sightings of him went on for, for a while, but and then on September 30th, 1911, the dam failed, causing a massive flood in the valley below and killing at least 78 people. Wow, at the time. Obviously, dealing with the aftermath of the flood, nobody really associated again with the incidents. Yeah. You know? But a year later, when a newspaper, the Honesdale Citizen, was reporting on the anniversary of the flood, that's when speculation started that the man in black was actually a warning of the flood. And I, I believe they used the word warning. I have to go back and look at that. But again, I don't think it's a, I don't know if it's really a warning. Yeah. Because to me, a warning is you're you're telling somebody, hey, this is going to happen. You should probably try to stop it. But a harbinger of death to me is just this is going to something is going to happen. You know, somebody is going to die. People are going to kinda die. Like it wouldn't it be kind of like an omen or something like a bad omen. Yeah. So that was the next the, the next thing I want to get into in another episode was this to me, this kind of jumps over into the area of premonitions and precognitive dreams mm-hmm. and then yeah that whole discussion about you know are they are they warnings are they omens or are they just harbingers of death so like the the banshees so a banshee is a celtic messenger of death who roams ireland and scotland and even they say warning of impending doom so i guess the warning of impending doom but that, yeah, it just seems odd to me because it's like, well, they're not really warning. I guess they're not giving you details yeah. is what I'm trying to say. 
So you're getting this warning, but you have no idea what it's about. So it's not like you can change anything. Yeah, that makes Right? Yeah, yeah, because I would consider a warning being more specific than just an image or like a vision. Yeah, I mean, normally like, so she saw the cat three times. So the first time, which is normally somebody sees these harbingers before an event, but not generally, they don't generally see them again. Yeah, I guess if they see it like multiple times, like with the cat, yeah, I would consider that a warning. You would think that, so the tech, second time, she hadn't put the two, the, the first events together. Yeah. The second time, she may not still have put it together until her mother died. Then I would assume that she would say, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. Now, the third time it happened, I could see where she would say, oh my God, somebody is going to die. But she has no idea who that is or whether she can stop it. That's true. Right? Yeah. That's different than somebody having a premonition, a specific premonition about an event and being able to pinpoint what's going on. Like I remember this story, I don't know if I should should bring this up because I I don't know the details, but it was this psychic talking about the things, about the premonition, her premonitions that came true. Well, that's kind of suspicious to me because when I was looking up premonitions and precognitive dreams for this, this future episode... I was looking for other ways to back up their stories. If a disaster happens and somebody says they had a premonition about it, to me, it has to be kind of suspect, right? Well, yeah, because couldn't anyone say they had a premonition after? Yeah. Now, if somebody says they have a premonition, they had a premonition and they had told other people about it, and then you went to those other people and they backed up the story, then it becomes a little more believable. Yeah. But you have to trust that you can trust those people, right? Now, if they had wrote the story of the premonition and reported it to the authorities, which then then obviously you have some some backup of of that, right? Yeah. So I'm a little suspicious about telling too many stories about people who said they have premonitions about something and not yeah. having any real proof that it was actual premonition, not somebody looking for attention. So I totally went off on a tangent there and I was talking about the lady. She was talking about her premonitions. Oh, so supposedly, allegedly, she was giving a reading. So this was, a, she was a, with premonition. She was a, I don't know if she was a tarot card reader or just a fortune teller. And she had a premonition that the boy that she was, I think it was a young man that she was reading, was going to die in a car accident. So she was telling him don't ever drive. Don't even get your license. And then he ended up dying, but it was a friend of his who was driving. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. him not driving wouldn't really stop it. Well, she was telling him, you know, don't even get into a car. Anyway. So my question is, would you listen to a medium or a psychic if they told you not to get in the car and drive because you're going to die? Well, that's a tough one. That's kind of like you'd have to be in that situation because how do you not drive? Yeah, I feel like it's one of those things. It's like, well, do I take the chance and just live my life or do I just completely just never get in a car ever again? Well, that's the thing. It's, yeah, not not just not driving, but not getting in a car. Yeah. 
It's kind of like, a, you know, I did go to a, a psychic once and uh, she told me never to do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> here we are. So I, I have a follow-up question to that then for you. If, if I went to a psychic and she told me I was going to die in a plane crash, would you ever want to be within a mile of me? On a plane? No, just out... Anywhere? <laughs> well, the plane could fall out of the sky, right? Yeah, I guess just that's because true. The same concept, just because you know, you're not driving or if you get in a car accident, you could still be a pedestrian. That's true. Um, I don't know. That's a tough one. Maybe for a little bit, but then I'd probably get over it and be like, yeah. okay, I'll just take my chances. <laughs> well, and so that's the point with this too, right? I mean, you, you can't believe to the point of just not living your life. Okay, so let me see if I can unwind all of these tangents that I've let us down so we can wrap this up. I think I started all of this when I was talking about premonitions as a topic for a future episode. So I'll just leave it at that. And with that, I think we have made it through our first episode. Yay. I don't think it was too bad. For our first episode, I think it's the best we can do. Yeah. And especially for two people who have been told they should never go out in public. <laughs> and that's on being socially awkward. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for listening. We promise we will get better at this or die trying. At least that's what my psychic told me. <laughs> Make sure to visit next week for more weird and creepy stories. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 12pass3 or email us at podcast at 12pass3.com. <laughs> what do we say? Can I just see you next? See you next. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> see you next time. <laughs>